Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So please take a minute and visit mbcocala.com slash stories to tell us your story. And if God has used this ministry to touch your life in any way, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. Help us to continue delivering God's word to the world. You can give online or through our mobile giving app. Would you please help me welcome our church family online. Thank you so much for being with us. God bless you. Uh, No one said sit down. No, no, go ahead. Have a seat. Have a seat. You know, I was handed a little piece of paper, and uh, there's a lot of things that are are going on in the body of Christ right now. Personally, I know other ministries uh, are being attacked and things of that nature, but also people in the congregation and uh, in our own personal family, we have uh, someone that just came out of the hospital and someone's going into surgery, plus a little paper was given to me and and say to, to pray for Cody Pruitt, he's 19 years old, was in a car accident this morning and head trauma and, and uh, he's basically in a, in, in a state of a coma and that's all I know. But I know this much, the Lord knows what he, who, what's going on. So I don't know what's going on with you, but I know this much, that we're going to pray and as the Lord leads me in prayer, he's going to touch your life, he's going to touch your situation. How many of you believe that? Amen. Let's pray. Father, glorious King, we thank you ever so much that it's not about music, but it's about your presence. And in your presence, dear God, we ask you to touch Cody Pruitt right now, to touch our family members, to touch those that are in the hospital, those that are just dealing with sickness or any type of bad report. We believe that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead will touch and quicken mortal bodies today. We believe, Father God, that you're still in the miracle working business. That those that believe, nothing is impossible to them that believe. Because you are on the job and you're making things happen. So now I ask you, Father God, to touch Cody. Touch my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, and these other ministries or whoever here. Just think of that person. Touch them now, dear God. Heal them and lift them up from the bed of affliction. And we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 I believe in the power of prayer. I want to tell you a few things that um, Pastor Tim, uh, he had a second surgery as as Lee uh, announced. He also had uh, the stitches removed yesterday. And uh, he's doing some home therapy. Uh, Miss Alicia and Pastor Tim, or Pastor Alicia and Pastor Tim, they both send their love and their greetings they said, uh, you better be here on Sunday. No, I said that. What's up, Derek? Uh, squirrel. I get like that. Remember? So he's going to be starting a new series called Essentials. And he's going to be here. And he's been out of the pulpit for a while. So uh, you know what happens when he's out of the pulpit for a while? He's like loaded for bear and he's ready to go. So be praying for your pastor and, and uh, some great things are going to happen. Uh, I want to share just a few thoughts with you today. And these thoughts are are, are very simple. If I was to ask you a question, what is your story? What is your story? And when was the last time that you shared that story with someone? Think. Think deeply. When was the last time that you sat somewhere and this thought or this unction came to you and said, 
share the gospel with that person, and you go, get thee behind me, Satan. I remember one time I was in Honolulu, Hawaii. I was sitting on a bus, and I, I was sharing the gospel with one guy, right? And then I got on the bus. Or actually, I got in the bus, not on the bus. I got in the bus, and it took off. And then the thought came again, but from one moment I went to sharing the gospel with somebody, at the next moment I was so fearful. Why does that happen? The Bible is very clear that it tells us that Jesus came in the form of a man, but he didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God because he was God, but taken on the form of a man of a, serv- of a servant. But here's the thing. It says there, it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, 9, and 10, and then it says this, but making himself of no reputation. Most of the times, the reason we don't share the gospel, because we're concerned about us. In our reputation, maybe I don't know how to, or I've never led someone to the Lord. But I have good news for you. You can lead someone to the Lord. Greatness lies on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit lies on the inside of you. And we were singing, he came for the unworthy. He came for the downtrodden. He came for the, I don't know about you, but I was one of them at one time. And the enemy tries to tell me that I'm still not good enough. Does he ever tell you the same thing? But when you get focused on the gospel, everyone say the gospel. The gospel gospel is the good news. And tonight we're going to talk about this one word, this one word that we always use. And here's this word. The word is ministry. Did it go up on the screen? There it is. (laughs) Ministry. I want you to look at ministry. Ministry. But if you remove the S, it becomes this, a mini try. The S signifies something. The S signifies the center of all ministry is a Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. When we're trying to do life, when we're trying to do ministry, when we're trying to do things for the kingdom of God, if we forget the S, it's always going to be a mini try. It's always going to fall short. Now, how many of you here have been a Christian more than 20 years? Drop your hand down. How many of you have been a Christian here less than a year? Right? Good. Now watch. When I became a Christian, man, devil, get out of my way. I'm going to do it. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. You're on fire for everything. Man, you want to speak in tongues and lay hands on everybody and you want to cast the devil out. You want to go to church, to Bible study. You want to go to choir rehearsal. Come on. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Now that's exciting. But how long did that last? Because at one time you came to the presence of God and you focused on the Savior, on Jesus, what he did for you and where you're going. But then all of a sudden, two, five, six years later, oh, I've heard that before. I don't really have to tithe. Oh, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. We have to stay focused on the S. The S of salvation is that you've been saved from something by someone, but also for something and for someone also. Listen, folks, there is some things that a Savior does for this Jesus this of Nazareth, the son of the living God. This Savior, this S, brought the good news of the gospel. This word gospel is the God spell. It's an old English word. It means glad tidings. You remember when the angel came down and says, 
at, at Jesus, right when he was about, about to be born, he says, I bring you good news, glad tidings of great joy. That's the gospel. But this word gospel throughout scripture, specifically in the New Testament, it is shared 103 times. And this 103 times, sometimes it's a noun, a person, a place, or a thing, a noun. And sometimes it's a verb, an action that needs to be taken. In this action, this word, it signifies this. It means to proclaim or the evangelion. It's where we get the word evangelism from, evangelion or evangelical. It means also to confess. But the second word or the second, the other side of the coin is evangeliozomai. Evangeliozomai. Don't ask me to repeat it again. Okay. All right. So the gospel is twofold. It's like a coin has two sides. If you remove one part, the coin becomes not valuable anymore. It doesn't mean that it's not important. How many of you are here today to listen to the gospel, the good news? The question that becomes is like I asked you, what is your story? What is the last time you shared it with somebody? The question then becomes is, what are you going to do with the gospel that you hear today? I asked a lot of people before I came, like a week and a half ago, I started asking people, why do you go to church? To hear the word of God. Okay, you come to church to hear the word of God? Now what? Well, I hear the word of God to build my faith. Okay, you build your faith. Now what? Some said, what the fellowship? Okay, you fellowship. Now what? So I can serve at the church. Okay, now what? The side of the gospel, I keep spitting on myself, I'm sorry. The side of the gospel, it's a little squirrel. The side of the gospel is the proclamation of the word and builds our faith. But if that was all to, to the gospel, when you received Jesus, he should have taken you home to heaven right away. The verb, the action is when you hear, what do you do? The book of James tells us very clearly, do not be forgetful hearers, but be hearers and doers of that word. So I ask you again, what is your story? If I told you my story. You heard that song before? Man, I love that song. It is the evangelism. Paul told Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. He didn't say be an evangelist. And there is evangelists there in the body of Christ. But we have to do something with the gospel. Paul centers the gospel on two things. Now we're going to the, the epistles, the word for the church. The gospel is the message of Jesus Christ. The synoptic gospel, gospels and in the book of John. And then we got the acts of the apostles. And then we have the epistles. And in those epistles, Paul says this. He says it in the evangelion. He proclaims it 60 times out of the 103 times that it's shared. So Paul is proclaiming the gospel, but he also does this. He defines what the gospel is. He says this, it's the gospel of Christ or the Messiah or the anointing. It is the good news of God. It is the gospel of peace, the gospel of our salvation. But he also describes the evangelizomai, the verb. He says, if I'm going to proclaim it and believe something, then there must be power that comes along with it to do something. Do you know when we bring people up uh, once a month and we pray for people up here and we know them all on Sundays, what are we believing God for? The power of God to make it evident in the lives of people and in their bodies. The gospel is not just with mere words, the gospel says. It says, I didn't just come with mere words, idle words of mere men. 
but with the power of God, because that power of God is unto salvation. What are you saved from? Who are you saved by? And what does he want from you? You ever asked yourself, what is the will of God for my life? You ever ask God that? Well, the will of God has a lot to do with business, family, travel, whatever. But as a Christian, someone that is Christ-like, if we hear the gospel and know the will of God on one side, but don't include people to salvation, we've lost the value of the gospel. Listen, are you guys okay with me today? The gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to say something that's a little controversial, but it's scriptural. Is that all right? Here it is. The goal of ministry, the aim of ministry, the purpose of ministry is discipleship. But without converts, there can be no discipleship. Jesus did not say, go therefore and make converts. He said, go therefore and make what? But when was the last time you shared your story to bring converts into the church? Am I stepping on somebody's toes? Listen, guys, because it's very easy to get caught up in everything that we do here at the church. And everything that we do helps people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. And that's discipleship. But unless we get people into the position A, which is conversion, everything else that we do is just mere religion. Smile at me. <laughs> Pastor Tim, if you're watching, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. Watch. Discipleship, that's why we have fellowship groups. That's why we have activity groups of biking and kayak and valorfit and knitting and, and all these different things that we do. We have Bible study groups as a means to lead toward discipleship. But it's also a place where people that don't know Jesus can feel more comfortable to coming into a small group. That's why we push small groups. Not just because we want to say we have small groups. It's because we want people saved to know the resurrection power of Christ just like you and I have. That's why it's important to pray about leading a small group. That's why it's important that if you've wanted to lead a small group, but you haven't filled out an application, May the 15th, I'm going to come find you. And then I'm going to go to your small group and listen to you. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. May 22nd is when they go online live. That's why it's important. That's why we also have uh, Meadowbrook College, SEU here. Not just to get a bunch of head knowledge. It's knowledge to do something with it. This is a great church. I'm telling you, I've been in other churches, another mega church. I've been in churches all over. This is a great church. We have healthy leadership. I know what it's like for men, men and women to share the gospel and be real because of the gift that's in them for the people. And they walk back there and they, they live like, are you sure you're saved? It's not so in Meadowbrook. Amen. And it's not the norm. But God has blessed this church, and God is going to continue to bless this church. I used to have a T-shirt. It's called Peter's Fishing Charter. And on the back it said, you catch him, he'll clean him. <laughs> and I used to wear that you know, when I was a young kid. Man, I was, I was awesome, man. I got that shirt. You like my shirt? My wife bought it for me. 
But a lot of people say that. I had to unplug it from the socket because it's neon flashing right now. But that's why it's important for us to go out there and catch them by the grace of God. Look, around here we believe in the invitational and relational evangelism. We believe in that. That's why it's important to do this. Watch. You, you see these little cards right here? These are not just, for me, these are evangelistic tools to invite somebody to come to church. That's why we have the invested invite cards. That's why we discover your purpose. Watch this. Join the dream team. Living the dream. Also, next step classes on Tuesdays. We have growth track. We have a variety of things to help you with discipleship. But at the end of the day, it's to go do something with that gospel. The saving of souls. We are Christians, Christ-like, small Christians or little Christs. When was the last time you shared your story with somebody? Here's a scripture that goes up on the screen. Matthew 4, 18 to 20 out of the Amplified. As he, Jesus, was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he noticed two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, throwing dragnets into the sea. For they were fishermen. And he called to them and said, come after me as what? As disciples, letting me be your guide. Follow me, and I will make you what? And once they left their nets and became his disciples, watch this, sided with his party and followed him. Yes, I'm going to go there. Not Democrat or Republican party. Christian worldview, biblically worldview, right? Filter view, full of Christ, that party, his party. And I'm here to tell you that when he did that, he said, follow me as disciples. And a disciple is to become a fisher of men, not a sitter in a pew. I'm sorry, pastor, you're listening. We need to do something with what we have. A minister that I know in Honolulu, Hawaii, and he looked at me, and he, he spoke a word over my life and took, and it was good. But afterwards, he pulled me aside, and he said this. He said, be careful that you don't become spiritually fat. Don't look at my girth. I'm talking about spiritually fat. <laughs> and he began to explain something. Just very quickly, he explained it to me. He asked me this. Are you a taker or are you a giver? Because if you're a giver, you're Christ-like. If you're a taker, you're selfish. And he was talking about how much word are you going to receive from the church that you're at before you do something for someone else. And that was a word for me. That might be a word for you. I know a few of you here that have talked to me personally and you feel called to ministry. Well, have you tried leading a small group? Not because you want to prove that you're a minister, but because you're going to help someone else. Do something with what you have. In this biblical worldview, we see better, we choose better, we live better, we relate better to God and to people, to your family, your neighbors, and your coworkers. Watch this. Loving God means what? Loving people. You hear it around here quite a bit. You have to honor those you seek to influence. You only have to love and do for those that Christ died for. So who did God, Christ, die for? 
We're going to move on. I'm going, to keep, I'm going to talk to you a little bit real quick about a story about a man. He was King George V. And this man, in 1932, he started a Christmas service, if you will, as the king of England. And that is Queen Elizabeth's grandfather. Okay? Context, not too long ago. And he first started in England by the middle to the late 1930s. He was doing it all over the world. And this was unheard of back then. And he had these cables because technology wasn't the, the, the same as it is now. And they had these cables. They had these engineers. And they were ready on one night, ready to do the Christmas Eve message about Christmas. And one of the engineers noticed that one of the cables was missing or broken off. And though that cable led to the first time the United States and Canada would hear that coming from England. They would do it 3 o'clock in the afternoon because of time. So we're getting ready to start. And they said, and this guy walks up. He grabs one of the wires and connects the other wire and completes the circuit. And it shocks him just a little bit. And then the king began to speak. And the message of the king went throughout the entire world but also to the United States into Canada. You need to be that conduit to have the word of the king come through you and broadcast it Amen. to the world. Amen. You and I have to be a light among the darkness. I'm reminded of a sermon where uh, here in the gospel of Luke where this one man being a king had two servants and he called all his servants in and he said, you owe me 500 and you owe me 50. Pay what you have. The one that owed 500 fell on his face. And he said, forgive me. Have mercy and patience with me. Have you ever asked God for that? And he forgave the 50. And he forgave the 500. And then Jesus asked the Pharisee, who loved more? And the Pharisee said, the one that was forgiven much loved more than the one that was forgiven less. And in my study, it, sa- it basically says this, because you can think, if you've had a lot of sin in your life, you're more spiritual. God loves you more. It doesn't work that way. The context of that is, do you have the revelation that you've been forgiven of sin? Do you have the understanding that God can forgive a multitude of sins? Or if you were a good guy that never had Jesus, the debt is not the issue. It's, the issue is, do you realize how much you've been forgiven? And when you realize how much you've been forgiven, you can love much. And you can be a conduit for the king's voice to flow through you to share your story with somebody else. I'm saved today by grace. I no longer have to worry about hell. I just have to worry about my wife getting on me if we're not taking out the garbage. (laughs) Two Mondays in a row, she hasn't had to ask me, praise the Lord. (laughs) One time I told her, you get up yourself and do it. (laughs) Or or did I think that? I don't remember. I think I just thought it. Here's another scripture, Romans 10, 14 through 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of good news. 
Here's a man, I'm going to read an excerpt from a man named Billy Graham. What does he know? That's just a joke, folks. He knows a lot. And in this book, it talks about the hope of my salvation. That's the name of the book. And I'm going to read you a little excerpt. It says this. We watch people being saved from automobile accidents. We hear about children being saved from drowning. We read of others being pulled out of fiery flames. We sigh with relief when military men and women save innocent lives around the world. Or when the National Guard rescues families from floods left in the wake of different hurricanes like Katrina and Sandy. And most of us, I believe, hope that it will find ourselves in da- hope that we will not find ourselves in dangerous situa- situations. And if we do, we believe that someone will come to rescue us. What we seldom stop to realize is that when we are rescued from something, we are also saved for something and for someone. When we are rescued by someone, we are indebted to them, for they have saved us from a disaster, an impending doom, or perhaps even death itself. It was a privilege. It was a privilege for me to know the late President Ronald Reagan. We talked many times about this brush with death in 1981 when he survived an assassination attempt. He considered himself forever indebted to those who took bullets for him. He was candid about his own mortality and told his son, Michael, I believe God has spared me for a purpose. I want you to know that I've made a decision to recommit my life to Jesus Christ and the rest of my presidency to God and his will. But even if we are saved from such experiences, we will eventually find ourselves facing another threat. Maybe an incurable disease, a fatal accident, or something just as natural as growing old and wearing out from progress of this natural cycle of life. No other human being, no matter how selfless or brave, can rescue us from this certainty of death. But that doesn't mean that we cannot be saved, that we have no hope of rescue. It just means that we have to be clear about Who will really save us in the end? That's why I have written this book to share what I have learned in nearly a century of living with unwavering assurance of being saved. So today I ask you, are you saved and what is your story and who have you shared your rescue with? When I read that, that hits home, that hits deep, it's solid because without the salvation message, all of us are lost. Without the resurrection from the dead, the Bible says that we are still in our sins and our life is in vain. I ask you, what is your story? What is your story? Paul himself had a story. He was circumcised on the eighth day from the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, Pharisee of Pharisees, persecuted of the church by law, blame, by the law, blameless. He said, all those things are not gain for me. He said, they're all dung and rubbish. His story was that he was slapped off a donkey, that he was whipped, that he was shipwrecked, left for dead, rocks thrown on him. He said this, but this thing I do, that I may know him And the power of his resurrection. I don't care what you're going through in the sense that I am not uncompassionate. But there is nothing that the resurrection power of Jesus Christ cannot help you with today. The resurrection power of Christ can help you today. 
If you would focus not on the problem, but on the promise. If you would focus on the Savior and not your situation. God is a good God. Now I got my preach on. I'm about to start sweating in here. I better behave. <laughs> Paul even said, for the, for the Hebrew, for the Jew, I became a Jew. For those under the law, I became as one under the law. But by no means was I under the law. Why? That I may save some. That's out of 1 Corinthians 9. The book of Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. Out of the Amplified Bible, it says this, The fruit of the uncompromisingly righteous is a tree of life, and he who is wise captures human lives for God as what? Fishers of men he gathers and receives them from eternity. Listen, guys. Around here, some people will say, it's too loud. Some people say, we have too many lights. Some people have even said, why do we invest all that money? Because in society today, you got to know how to fish for men. I've become an avid fisherman for some of you, those that know. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. I've gone a few times here. But I've known this much, even when I was a kid. Certain fish like certain bait. Some of them like mud minnows. Some of them like shrimp. Some of them even like bologna. Some of them like chicken necks. And each type of fish likes different types of bait. So what do we do here? We're not trying to entertain people. We're trying to draw them in, compel them to come in. There was a man that had a great feast in the Bible. And it says, now that I've prepared this, this great festive buffet and dinner, he says, go out to the highways and the byways and compel them to come in. But it also says that some had excuses. Well, my father is sick. I just got this new ox. What's your excuse for not telling somebody to come to church? It's quiet in this charismatic Pentecostal church. I'm not trying to put something heavy on you. But if you've never won somebody to Jesus, it's easy when you do it the right way. When we win souls, we become, we have the attributes and the characteristics of God. God the Father gave his son and when we tell our story or testify of that story, we become godlike. You may not win. You may think I'm not wise. You've never led someone to the church or to Christ. Or how do you become a soul winner? Where do I start? Here's the first thing. Prayer. Prayer. Everyone say prayer. Prayer, prayer is important. In Matthew 9, 35 to 38, it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages teaching at their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowd, that he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then his disciples, and he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, what? Pray. Therefore, what? Pray. Say it again. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. The question is this. Do you want to be a harvester? I do. I want to be a harvester. Because I know the experience of leading someone right in the middle of, a, of Donna Karan Boutique in Honolulu, Hawaii. She said, you look like that pastor. And I wasn't that pastor, but I said, I know Jesus. I shared Jesus with her, and she went like this, oh, my God. I said, are you all right? She goes, oh, my God. I said, what happened? She said, this heavy thing that I've had on me for years just left. 
when you experience that, it'll change the way you lead someone to Christ. I'm telling you, I've led people to Christ, and God has opened doors for me in the Philippines, New Zealand, in Australia, on a Navy ship, Honolulu, Hawaii, here in the prison systems. And when you lead someone to Christ, not just because it's me, because I know my story. I know where I've come from. I know what he's forgiven me of. So when I pray, I say, Lord, lead me somewhere today. And this is what you can do. Father, lead me somewhere today. And I don't want you to think that you have to lead everybody in a prayer. But the Bible says that one plants the seed, another waters. And at the end, God gets all the glory because he's the one that does it anyway. So you can be a soul winner. You just got to pray about it. Lord, help me. And we're more concerned about our problem when we should be praying also for the lost. Now, God cares about your problem. In these last minutes, here we go. That's why it's important when you pray. God will lead you. Invest and invite cards. We got essentials coming up, and Pastor Tim will be here on Sunday. Also, the second thing you have to realize is that heaven is real, and hell is real. It's a real place. Scripture tells us very evidently that there was two men, one a rich man, one a beggar, one clothed in purple, and and then the Scripture says that he ate delicacies. In other words, he ate a lot of good stuff. And there was another one, a beggar, named name was Lazarus, and he was covered with sores that the dogs would come and lick it. Both died, but both were yet alive. The scripture says this, one was in Hades in torment, but the other one was carried away by angels. It says that one cried out for mercy and anguish from the flames, and the other one was comforted and restored. And the, and the rich man that was in torment, he said, I have brothers and sisters. Have someone come first. Give me a drop of water. In my tongue. And then have someone go tell them. Tell my brothers and sisters not to come to this place. And the, and, and the prophet there or the Jesus as he was giving this parable. He says this. There is a gulf between us. And they cannot come here and we cannot go there. He says therefore do something. Do something. He said Moses. He says they have Moses and the prophets. And they won't listen to him. How are they going to listen to someone that is raised from the dead? Heaven and hell is real. Heaven, no more pain, no more torment, a resurrected body, a new body, streets of gold, a glass sea where angels fly around. They say, holy, holy, holy. That's all they do is say, holy. Heaven is real. Hell is real. First of all, realize that you need to pray. Second of all is that heaven and hell are real. In Luke 16, 13, it says this. 16, 30, and 31, and he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to my family from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And here's the third thing. The first thing was, is that we need to pray. Second is that heaven and hell are real. And third is this, Jesus is with you. Jesus is with you. When you pray, guess what? Jesus walks with you. The Holy Spirit inside of you. God in heaven all waiting. Go tell them. Go tell them I'm with you. But if you're more concerned about your reputation and you don't have the right words or you don't have a nice shirt like me or whatever, that was a joke. You're going to be held back. You're going to be concerned more about yourself. 
But when you realize that God is with you, now watch this, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. It says, go then and make what? Disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, Jesus, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you all the days, perpetually, uniformly, and on every occasion, on every occasion, no matter if people are in the hospital, no, he, he's with you on every occasion to the very close and the consummation of the age. Amen. So let it be. So let it be. Now that you've heard the evangelium, what are you going to do with that evangeliosomai? What are you going to do with it? Maybe there's someone in your heart that you've been wanting to share the gospel with and you don't know how to. Just say, Jesus, help me. I pray to you, Father, in the name of Jesus, help me. Find the way, find the words to tell my story to someone, to a family member. Help me season my words with salt. Let there be a grace to the hearer. I want to edify people, not to point the finger, but help me. And I'll promise you this, that the opportunity will arise for two things. For you to share the gospel and or for you to walk in fear. Because as soon as you're going to step out there, all these thoughts and all these feelings are going to come into your life. And it could come into your soul. But in that moment, you're not led by your feelings. You're led by your faith in the promises of God. Share the gospel with somebody. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Meadowbrook Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at MBC Ocala.